0: Many, many years ago. Many years ago, when Blazing Fire was itty-bitty, we're 14 years old now. But when we were just toddlers, the Lord, the Lord, told me a long time ago that um, He would bring people to us that would enrich us, and that if I would invite them, they would come. Kind of wonderful because it's really worked out that way, and um, and so uh, I, I saw, I began to see some of um, Johnny Enloe's words. I don't know the last few years, occasionally, um, but something happened uh, when he when he wrote his, especially his um, New Year's uh, prophecy. Uh, something started to grip me. In fact, I took that everywhere. I t- I teach at different staffs and stuff. I started to read it everywhere, and it was gripping. Even people that didn't know about prophecy weren't into prophecy. They would just be hooked by by the Lord with this word. And then, and then, uh, you know, other words started coming out. But I, I, I quickly wrote him, and I told him who we were, and I said, hey, would you come? And and just, I don't know, maybe a month ago, got word that they were coming back. One of their daughters just graduated from Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And uh, they said, hey, we're heading on our way back through. We'd love to, we'd love to stop. So um, I just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a kid in a candy store. I get... My daddy's so good to me, you know, this one, and, and um, he keeps bringing us people that are, that are actually changing the course, you know, adding to, adding their special sauce to us and changing the course of where, uh, where God's taking us in such a, a, a dramatic, positive way. So we had the afternoon with them, uh, our leadership team, and it was just phenomenal. Um, so I don't know how you guys want to divvy this up with the time, but would you just wholeheartedly honor Johnny Enlow with me, please?
1: Thank you very much well it 's a, a real privilege to be with you and um, we we are excited about your region, your area, but what God is doing in you as well and in a little bit you'll get to hear from um, towards the end from my wife elizabeth we 've been married twenty eight years she 's my best friend ministry partner yeah and um She always has rich stuff from the Lord to share. But right now, I'm going to ask my, we have four daughters overall, but two daughters are with us right now. We have Justice and Grace, and they had a couple of things for you as a church. Is that what it is, Justice and Grace? Y'all ready to come up and just share that now? All right, come on up here. Yeah. Who wants to go first?
2: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I had a corporate word for everyone. Um, I kept hearing the Lord say it's the heart. It's all about the heart, and he really loves the heart that's represented corporately in this church. Um, it's so sweet to him, and he He told me that he um, takes great joy in resting his presence here, especially during worship. I just could feel the corporate surrender in the the love and the unity throughout here. Um, and that's really special to him. Um, and that's going to be like the foundation for continuing to build this ministry and continuing to grow and bring more people in. Um, and I saw like this big heart and it was completely softened towards the Lord. And that's why he was able to mold it and grow it. Um, he was like pumping it with more air. And I felt like he was saying he's bringing in more people. Um, and with more people, he's bringing in like new levels of creativity. Um, and just, he's going to reveal, uh, new aspects of his nature and give like deeper revelations to individuals in the church as well as corporately. And you're just going to grow as a body and grow in unity and love. Um, and he just, yeah, I just feel such a sweetness of the presence here. And he is so proud of you guys and everything that you're incorporating right now. And he's going to continue to grow that.
3: Hey y'all, um, I'm Justice, this is Grace, I guess we didn't specify which which is which. Um, I was just reminded of the verse, I think it's John 5-4, I just looked it up and now I've forgotten it already, um, where it talks about the angels stirring the pool of Bethesda and I felt like God said that y'all have that here, that you guys have like this really really deep and rich pool here and that he's actually releasing angels to come and like stir what y'all have here. And even in the context of, like, John 5, 4, it was for specifically for, like, healing and miracles and things like that. And so I feel like even there's going to be another level of um, just supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit through healings and miracles and things like that. So thank
0: you. Okay.
1: thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was awesome. Right on. They made it. Well, I was—I'll just share briefly a couple more things. I was seeing you as I know there's visitors here as well, but for you as a as a church, I actually was getting during worship two specific words and then some things related to it. One word was pylon, p y l o n, and another one was propulsion, and that these would be things uh, that would be relevant for you in the coming days. Now I looked up pylon. And it means had several definitions. I know you know many of you may know what it means without looking at the dictionary, but it's interesting sometimes what a dictionary says. An upright structure that is used for support or for navigational guidance, in particular a towel, in particular a tower used for carrying power lines high above the ground. So I think that speaks into who you are and what your calling is and what he's how he's using you in this area, and um, in Merriam-Webster's definition, it said, a usually massive gateway. I was like, I like that. And then dictionary.com, a post or tower for guiding pilots or making a turning point in a race. So, you know, out of that, I was getting that, you know, perhaps it's easy as as a church, as a group, to be asking the Lord, come on, Papa, help us with our call and what you've got for us. But I really saw that in this season, he's coming to you and he's actually going to conform you to that which he has strategically called you to be and your destiny in the Bay Area. And uh, in fact, as I was getting that, I heard fire in the Bay, fire in the Bay. And uh, I believe he's strategically positioning things for that. Not just obviously you're part of it, but there are things he 's doing like there is uh, hes he 's going after the whole bay area, and uh he 's strategically setting up things and so you all being a pylon in that are are really key i'm i 'm sure going to be other pylons in the Aryan region there 's connectors for his his uh, his power lines coming through and the and the girls are speaking into some of what those power lines do bring already there's his heart here and his healing and that 's Uh, an amazing thing, then this word propulsion and um, definition, the action of driving or pushing forward, or another definition, the force that moves something forward. And I believe these things are totally related and interconnected and it has to do with this time and season. I liked what you said. There's a, a changed climate. That people could sense it. There really is a changed climate and a season. I'm sure it's for you all individually, but it's for the body of Christ overall. And uh, this is just the spring season, the beginning of the kingdom age. This is not the age of darkness of the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet. It's not devil show time. Many people thought that last year as well. They misinterpreted the blood moons and many other things, and there were books and all kinds of things declaring all sorts of problems and difficulties and doom scenarios related to that, and it was special what was happening and what the heavens were reflecting, but you remember Psalm says the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens aren't here to declare the glory of Satan, they declare the glory of God. And so whenever we start extracting from what's happened in the heavens something that advances darkness in any way, we are extracting the wrong thing from it because the heavens declare the glory of God. So that's another side thing. So propulsion, another, uh, I read somewhere else, it just said propulsion is the force that pushes a rocket into space. And I believe what he's, what he's showing, putting all these things together for you, I believe the Lord is, is coming in with a propulsion, a wind of propulsion. A force is coming into you and through you and over you as a church, as a ministry. And it's for the, the specific um, ability to be able to step into all that he has positioned you for over the years. Like this is everything's for such a time as this. And I believe, you know, thinking of a rocket taking off, you generally see, if you've seen them, the platform shakes like crazy before there's the takeoff. And um, I believe, uh, you know, here's what I heard of the Lord for you. He's going to shake something off you. He's going to shake some things into you. But you're all designed to make it through this shaking. And uh, so, because it, it's a shaking of destiny. So this is not... That other kind of shaking that you fear, even though it will be shaking, because it's propulsion. It's a force coming in to conform you to who you're called to be, and he's really doing some things strategically. It's like he's playing chess in the bay, and he's positioning churches and ministries and things for such a time as this, because there's going to be fire in the bay, fire in the bay, and it's going to garner world attention as well. So anyway... That was just some of the prophetic directive. I'm going to share, you know, a little of... This is our first time sharing with you, so a bit of the word that we and the message we carry overall. You mentioned the Seven Mountain message. We have some Seven Mountain books. I don't know which ones we actually brought. Elizabeth will tell you about them afterwards. But um, how many of you have ever heard the terminology of the Seven Mountains? Okay, most of you. And the Seven Mountains call it say the seven mountains, seven mountain mandate is a mandate to not just get individuals saved, not even just to see individuals get healed, but it's an understanding that we have both the responsibility and the privilege of bringing the kingdom of God and manifesting it in the seven primary spheres of society. Ultimately, all society, as David said, I would have fainted if I didn't believe I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We're used to championing the God of the hereafter, get saved because one day you get to be with this holy Santa Claus that will just going to shower you with gifts. But we really haven't known how to contend and believe for a God that would show up with kindness and goodness here in the now. And and I I suppose we'll say there's been uh, a group of uh, particularly spirit-filled churches that have been willing to contend and believe that he's good here and he heals here. He has good things to do for us here, and and, and that's... That's beginning to to expand our understanding of him. But when we fully expand our understanding of who he is, we begin to see that he's not just coming to do great things in church. He's coming to do great things in every area of society. So the seven mountains are the seven primary spheres of society, media, education, government, economy, family, arts, and entertainment, religion, and government. And so religion is the mountain that we're used to hearing about. It's where the church is at, and it's basically what we have a grid for, what we have had traditionally a grid for as the church. It's really the first Reformation, Martin Luther was, you know, where we learn, how then shall we be saved? What do we got to do to be saved? We were you know, there's a lot of confusion in theology and it was about indulgences and work and all works and all kinds of other things. And so it was settled once and for all. That was a reformation of sorts, but it was a minor reformation compared to what's coming because we're, we're heading into a second reformation where it's uh, the topic is not just how do we get saved? The topic is how do we live and how much of his kingdom is designed to manifest here and now. And um, And we are we are learning more and more about a God who really has the goods for every area of society. You know, A.W. Tozer liked to quote particularly this thing that he said. He said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And you have to think through that for just a moment. It's not, you know, what you know about the devil. It's not what you know about the Bible, what you know about stuff. It's What you know, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you have a restricted view on who God is, then you're going to experience a restricted perspective on who he is and for sure manifest a restricted perspective on who he is. If he's either not big enough or good enough in your own knower, you're not going to experience him any more, any greater size than you can see. The kingdom of God that you enter. When you enter the kingdom, you see first what you enter. And if you can't see it, you won't experience it that way. And so it, it becomes bad for you personally, but then it sells short society as well as we continually expose to them, reveal to them a very limited perspective of God. Haggai 2 says, he is the desire of the nations. And it's not just that they're rebellious or heathen or unbelievers, or idolatrous, or whatever terminology we would want to say. It's not just that they're that, as for being the reason they reject him at times. It's because we have seen a very limited perspective of God, and we have therefore re-imaged that very limited perspective of God. We have seen a God that can get people saved, but he really is clueless, about governments, education, family, the systems of this world. He really doesn't have the goods for it, doesn't have the anointing, the solutions. He doesn't know what to do about powers and principalities that are in those places. And so we have projected that out, and so the world has been poor for it, but that is all changing. So the seven mount mandate is a template for how the kingdom of God is coming, how it's descending. And again, it's a template that goes beyond understanding the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation is about souls. This now goes into the gospel of the kingdom. To give you, you know, we're just going to give you a little potpourri of some things. We can't give you the whole idea, but we can give you enough today uh, for you to have hunger for it. And if you've not heard too much about it, we're going to have all our resources. will serve this direction of that's all our all, all our resources really are about seeing him as a reformer of the nations, transformer of the nations, or about an expanded perspective of who he is. You know, end game is Habakkuk 2.14. The whole earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And um, we're used to maybe reading that scripture and thinking, yeah, everybody needs to know that Jesus saves. And And we can sing those songs. Everybody ought to know that Jesus saves. But... Everybody needs to also know, know, know that he governs, he knows how to run economies, that he knows how family systems operate, media structures, education, etc., etc. And so there's an expanded knowledge of who he is and the glory of how he runs these systems in society or how he could if we would let him in. And um, the scripture basis for it, if you're wondering... Isaiah 2.2 says, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be exalted in the tops of the mountains. It says, and nations will come running to the house of God. So something would happen in the latter days that would have never happened before is where not just individual people will come to church and get saved, but nations would run to the house of God because they would recognize now that solutions for how nations should operate would now be coming out of the house of God. The specific passage in the Bible that uses the terminology seven mountains is Revelation 17:9. The context of Revelation 17 is it speaks of the harlot system, depending what version of the Bible you have, could be called the prostitute, but it's explaining and talking about Satan's system, his operating system on planet Earth. And in verse 9 it says speaking of that, the woman, that's the woman, she sits or depending again version of the Bible she sits or she lays on seven mountains. So it is a biblical terminology, but it gives us some understanding right there that the enemy has a seven mountain plan. The enemy has a seven prong approach to how he does what he does. You know, the boardroom of hell is very simple. Satan brings his lieutenants there and he gets the chalkboard and it's like, kill, steal, destroy. I don't know where I came with the accent, but it seemed to go with it. And so... That's what they do, steal, kill, destroy. That's all they're up to. And so when they have strategic assignment, it's to see how they can best advance their stealing, killing, and destroying. So what they do is they have an understanding that if they go to government and they take hold of government, they can create maximum damage that way. Every year we generally read that more people will die from their governments killing them than from the wars. And whether it's not properly allocating food and so therefore causing famine or uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, just a general stress that's on a people for, because they have a bad government, we see that government that's under a demonic stronghold has an incredible ability to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if we as the body of Christ you say, you know what, we really don't have time, we're not called to politics, we're not called to government, we just need to stay in church, have good meetings then we have the enemy unopposed there. Then the enemy also says, let's go into Hollywood. Let's go to the arts and entertainment. If we can release the worst movies, the worst demonic things imaginable, and we can, through that means, we can have incredible influence and get out our message. Same thing, we go into education. We take over Harvard and other places and instill and install humanism and concepts that God's really... If he exists at all, he's on the periphery, man's at the center of it all. Again, mountain by mountain by mountain, they have a strategic approach to the seven mountains. They don't even have to, they don't have to have 7.2 billion strategies to steal, kill, and destroy. He's already told his lieutenants, you take the seven mountains, you get the people with them. And that's what happens, and that's why we have to expand our perspective on what our assignment is, and it will all start with expanding our perspective on who our God is and what he's capable of doing. Proverbs 9.1 says, Wisdom has built her house and she has labored on seven pillars or on seven columns. And it goes on to say, she cries out from the highest places in the city. It gives us basically the antidote, or really the original vision. The Holy Spirit, wisdom, the Holy Spirit is building something on planet Earth. The kingdom of God is coming on seven pillars, seven columns on planet Earth, and it's coming with a proper manifestation of government, education, family, arts, entertainment. Uh, uh, I should have done it in order. That's how I remember the seven of them, anyway. And the enemy understands that. And so he comes with his counter-strategy because he only does counter-strategies. The enemy is all about counterfeiting and doing counter-strategies. But we want to understand this becomes a a fulfillment of how God operates on earth as it is in heaven. I'll get to that in just a moment. But a scripture of interest... um, Is in Judges, I'll just ask you a question anyway. We're just kind of going, we're telling you the scriptures, but we're not taking the time to go there. But I hope you do remember that I am going through scriptures and we are using the Bible. Some people get weird about that. And uh, everything we're speaking is from the Bible. And we've already mentioned about three or four scriptures, but we'll hit another one here. Um, You remember Samson? Very strong man, Samson. What ultimately caused him to lose his strength? His hair. It's interesting. If you read what it actually says in Judges sixteen nine. it says, again, depending on what version of the Bible you have, it says, And Delilah lulled Samson to sleep and cut off his seven locks. Yeah. Exactly. And if you read earlier, like verse 3 of that chapter... With his seven locks, it says Samson went and grabbed the gates of the city and removed them and carried them off. When he's empowered by the seven locks, he has authority over the gates of the city. But without him, immediately what happens? His eyes get gouged out. He loses his vision. And, you know, apart from God's redemptive plan for him later on, he's really ineffective from that time. But there's an application for us. First of all, it's pretty obvious, but we'll just state state the obvious. You are energized or weakened by the narrative you carry, the storyline you carry. If you believe God is only strong enough and great enough to help us hang on and survive and then zip us, zap us out of this world, rescue rapture, And that's the God you carry, and that's the God you champion and promote. That's a weak, that's a strip from your seven locks. You are not energized and empowered. When you know he's great enough, large enough, kind enough, big enough, powerful enough to influence and impact and release the kingdom of God into every primary sphere of society, media, education, government, economy, family, arts, entertainment, religion, and government, when you know he's got the goods for all seven of those areas then you are beginning to empower yourself in a new level. I mean, when you really get this message, this vision, you will, you will wake up differently. You'll wake up more excited, more encouraged about him and what he's doing, particularly in this day and age when you begin to see how he is advancing in all these areas of society. And when um, it says, Delilah lulled them to sleep. Delilah is representative of the religious spirit. This religious spirit has come into seminaries, into Bible translations, into Bible commentaries. Comes in looking very sophisticated and very smart and intelligent. But what it does, it strips the body of Christ of an empowering narrative. And that's what's happened. So you have a lot of, you know, basically the pipeline where pastors are trained. They are trained under thinking and doctrine, and eschatology that strips them of the empowerment, the empowerment God has for us. Again, it's this weak, weak narrative. It's a weak storyline way before the majesty of who our God is. And it steals from him the greatness of who he is. But that's not going to happen anymore, and that's okay. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was his first message, if we want to understand that. that you know, Matthew 4 starts out, Jesus starts out his ministry, and he doesn't have a message that he begins with. He just says in Matthew 4, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know we can hear it wrong. They, yeah. Repent, say you're sorry for your sins. I'm here. The, uh, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Fire we see you misbehaving, we're going to stomp you. But that's not the the message at all, because immediately following that declaration, he would heal the sick, he would cast out demons, the paralytics would walk, he'd speak to blind eyes and they would see, and so he was showing something. That word repent, metaneo, in the original Greek, is a word that means change the way you think. And it was specific for them because they were raised on Greek philosophy, educational understanding that they had in that day. What the, the, the prevailing thought of the day was the visible triumphs over anything else. There was no idea that the invisible supersedes the visible. It was the visible supersedes anything else. Don't believe in anything that's invisible because if it even exists, it serves the visible. So he comes and says, repent, change the way you think the kingdom of heaven. The dominion of heaven where I come from, there's an invisible realm that has authority over the visible. And it's at hand. It's here now. I'm going to show it to you. And then he would speak to blind eyes. They would see. They'd go. He used invisible to touch visible. He would speak to demons. Go. And with a word, they were cast out. Paralytics would walk. And so he was presenting a whole new way of thinking to them. It was no messaging to it. It was just repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he would manifest it. And so then there's all of a sudden... Matthew 4, the end of it. Cities, entire cities following him around. They had never seen such a thing. There had always been these false messiahs arising in those days, but they would always, they had their little trickery. They're like David Copperfield, they had their little magician stuff, and they would always get caught out what it was, caught what it was. But there was no, this was not a magic trick. He had actual power and authority. And so when Matthew 5 comes, the Beatitudes, you know that. It's his first message, the Magna Carta of Jesus. In Matthew chapter five, he has the crowds by the thousands sit. They now want to hear. They want to hear his philosophical presuppositions. They've been following him for his miracles, but they know now he's going to tell who he is and what he's all about, and they want to hear it. And they will stay with him for chapter five, six, and seven. If you read it, it's a long time. They were there to hear him. He wasn't. He he, he wasn't doing miracles. He was saying. This is how I think. This is how I'm operating. I'm explaining to you everything about myself. And then he began to share with them the Beatitudes. And we are, again, we're used to thinking through the religious grid. We're used to thinking about. But his first declaration was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're used to, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom, especially if you see some old uh, TV uh, thing thing on it but that's really weak it was an it was an, ex, it was an, um, an amazing declaration uh, uh, to that people the way it would hit them because they they want to hear how do you have power and his first statement is blessed are you who are hungry for more the poor in spirit what about them being literally poor it's like you have something in your spirit that desires more He says, here's my declaration, first declaration. This kingdom I'm telling you about is for you. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom is for you. This realm of power, of dominion, this invisible realm that comes from my father that supersedes and overrules and rules over every sickness, disease here on this planet, it's for you. So that's like, wow, this is for us. By his third declaration, He's saying, blessed are the gentle in spirit. Blessed are the meek, again, depending on version of the Bible. For they shall inherit the earth. This is where we miss it. Again, this Jesus is the original seven mountain man. Because we assume, and in fact, you just think through what would an evangelist today do if he had a crowd, a crowd of several thousand. You go straight to, hey, if you die tonight, where are you going to go? You start preparing people to function in the hereafter. But you will see, we don't have the time, but Jesus was preparing them to function in the here and now. And he's like, I've got all this power, I've got this realm of power and goodness, and it's to function here on earth. He was trying to get heaven onto earth. We keep trying to get earthians to heaven. And it's okay as a secondary measure, but we've missed the boat, we've missed the priority. So he came and he said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, there's so much in that. Number one, the earth is something to be desired. See that goes against what a whole lot of junk we've learned. And that's come out of seminary, Bible school and things. The earth is not this disposable thing that's going to get burned up. Just because you don't know how to translate, interpret Second Peter, some obscure verses there that disagree with everything else in the Bible, um, don't begin to believe that. Inheriting the earth, number one is like, if you're, if you're gentle in the way you deal with people, if you're kind-hearted, he said, you, I want to help you inherit the earth. So, number one, we get it, it's a reward, So the earth is something to be desired to inherit. It's good. It's a reward. Inherit. Think of the word inherit. It's not a loan. It's not a lease. Inheritance is forever. When he says, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek, blessed are the kind hearted. They will. I want to help you inherit the earth. Inheritance is for forever. So we don't want to forget. These are the original words of Jesus. He then gets Almost, like maybe it's two Beatitudes later. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Now, we're, again, what you're used to hearing it through a, a religious grid, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But it's like, if, if you could strip the religiosity from it, it says, are you sick and tired of the injustice that's taking place in your society? He says, my kingdom will satisfy that as well. He says, you've seen it have my invisible realm of power has authority over blind eyes, over dried bones, over demons. It also works towards matters of justice. So you see what his message is coming is he's coming and he's looking for those who will partner with him in receiving his kingdom on earth. Later on, a few verses later, Sometimes we don't realize that we'll preach these as separate things. You go from the Beatitudes, it's still chapter 5, verse 13, I believe. Matthew chapter 5, 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing but to be trampled upon. So much in that thing as well. You are the salt of the earth. Don't think of salt as being that which we put in our rice and french fries to make them taste better. That's part of it. It wasn't like, you know, you're supposed to help things taste a little better here on earth. Salt was the preservative for meat. They didn't have freezers, refrigerators. So what they had to do is you cake salt. We had to do this. We were part of a community farm in Peru, South America, when I was in my teens. And for a period of time, there was no refrigeration as well. So you cake the salt on both sides. You cake it thick and you hang it out. That's how the meat lasts the longest. So when he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the preservers of your society. If the salt doesn't do what it's supposed to, it is good for nothing but to be trampled upon. So he's like saying, you know, just to make it the most obvious possible, if you do not influence with who I am and why, what I do, Government, government's going to trample you. If you do not influence arts and entertainment, if you do not bring me and who I am, my ways of doing things into Hollywood, Hollywood's going to trample you. Wall Street's gonna trample you. Harvard, whatever, you know, however you look, the seven mountains, we go mountain by mountain. We'll save the time by not going there. But it's, it's a word that still resonates to us till this day. Jesus comes and his first message. He's still not talking to them about eternal life. One day you'll be with me. I'm so, he wasn't like, I'm so sorry. It's so hard here today, but just get saved. At the end of the meeting, raise your hand when I say, and then, you know, it's going to be a pain here. There's nothing we can do about it. I mean, the devil's just a bad dude, but one day I'm going to treat you nice. But that's the message. We've been caring. That's a church stripped of her seven locks by Delilah. No vision. Just like, I don't know. We'll just survive. You know, if we have to, if the Antichrist beast, false prophet gets too bad, we'll run to the hills and get stocked up in the three G's, gold, grain, and guns. And that's how we're going to survive the beast. It's like... So we're going to watch our neighbors starve while we just gloat on all the grain we have. And if they get near us, we're going to have guns to protect our, like, how does that become kingdom? It's Like Jesus. All right, that's another. You get the idea. But you are the salt of the earth. He's telling these people and he's saying I need you to work with me, receive my power, my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that I'm showcasing right here. I have it for you, and I want you to begin to take that into your areas of society so that your society can be preserved, not rot. Okay, so we got to realize wherever we don't show up, it's going to rot. If it's, think, you know, for years, there's denominations that don't even you know, allow their people to participate in government because they said it's of the devil. And everywhere I travel around the world, I do hear our oh, government's so corrupt. And so I remember years ago asking the Lord, I said, Is it really possible to change government? It does seem like it's of the devil. And he said, Well, it is, but because you've given it to him. And whatever, I guess, say it again, wherever you don't bring the salt, that will rot. The problem is we've been carrying the narrative like as soon as society starts rotten, we say, Jesus must be about to come. Wrong story. Society rots not because Jesus is about to come. Society rots is because the salts all in the salt shake are just trying to have good meetings. <laughs> and we want to have good meetings here too, but we're supposed to operate. The church mountain is the most important, but we're supposed to operate as a volcano. You know, this is where the rock, as we worship together, commune together, interact, we have we become these burning lava stones and rocks that then get sent out to the mountains and we operate Monday through Friday, Saturday, depending on your schedule. We operate in our nine to five life as the living stones, not just trying to get people saved. Again, that's it's where we have to expand our mind, expand our perspective. But systems themselves that don't operate right have to be changed. We're not just called to reach crooked people. It's crooked systems have to be reformed. It's a Reformation assignment. With me still? Yes. Okay. So, the next verse, Matthew 5, 14, he says, in case they didn't get it so far, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And he goes on to describe this light. And he says this light is as a candlestick. You remember that? You can read it. Or a lampstand. Again, there's so many versions of the Bible that flow and fly anymore, you can't just say one. He says, your light needs to shine like a lampstand. As soon as he mentions the word lampstand or candlestick, the visual they have immediately is the seven-branched candlestick. He's the original seven-mountain man. So he's like, you are the light of the world and you need to show it in seven types of light. Media, education, government, etc., etc., etc. You can't just, it wasn't just like, Carry this little light of mine. You know the song. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let like this little light of mine does not shine for a whole city. When he says you need to have light that shines for a whole city, city where city or nation was the same back then. So we have to carry light that shines and brings light to a whole city or nation. Your little light of mine won't do that. That gets you into eternity, but it doesn't reveal and release the kingdom of God on earth. Now, just to make it a little more almost heretical. But Jesus said it, so don't blame me for this. I'm just telling you, you all know these scriptures. He said, you are the light of the world. We keep thinking, yeah, we assume, you know, he's talking to his disciples, spirit-filled people, Acts 2. Yeah, we're the light of the world. I mean, we got the Holy Spirit. They weren't saved. I mean, you wrestle with that. He has this crowd. It's the first time he's ever had a crowd. And he tells them, first of all, they're the salt. Then he says, you're the light of the world. Now, if they were the light of the world, how much more if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and have Jesus in our heart? He was just identifying the fact that they're made in his image. And if he could get them to agree with that and work with him, then they are the light. It's what's there, resident ready to manifest. We keep saying stuff like, Lord, only you, you're the light. You come. He keeps telling us, no, you're the light. That's Isaiah 60. What does it say? Arise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. We say, no, Lord, you arise. He goes, no, you arise. Yeah. Behold the darkness. Back to Isaiah 60. Behold the darkness. Gross darkness to people. The nations it describes in different ways. The next line is not. But don't worry, the rapture's coming. But the Lord will arise on you. And his glory will be seen on you. Nations will come to your brightness. Kings will come to your shining. So this, this is, we got to get, again, back to the right narrative, the right storyline. And it starts with understanding who he is and what his capabilities are. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. So when you don't know he's this way, then you short sell him in a major way. He's called us to be the light. I still haven't gotten to the Matthew 6 there, but that's leading up to it. The Lord's Prayer is part of the same message. But before we get there, since we, we covered Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. It's important for us to understand certain basic aspects about God that I think sometimes as believers we just don't think through. We kind of know. I think most of us know what I'm going to tell you but we don't think through, we don't connect the dots well enough for at minimum. I think there's, you know, sort of a feeling that goes on among believers, like, you know, it's a good thing that only a third of the angels fell. There's, and demons are only a third, and we have two-thirds. And so we were like, okay, at least we're twice as strong. I mean, we got two-thirds us, one-third them, and it's like, you know our God is so kind and awesome and nice. You're so lovely, a wonderful God, but the devil's such a bad dude. He's just messing up everything for you. Can't wait till he's not doing that anymore. And then um, it's like, man, you know, we we have this idea that there was heaven, and heaven was just beautiful and everything was operating peacefully and wonderfully. And then one day they look out, dang, the devil's showing up. And it's like, oh, man, he just messed everything up. (laughs) Do you all know? Here's the question. Do you all know how the devil came to be? Okay, yeah. He did not self-invent himself. He didn't, you know. At some point, the way our father creates everything, he created him. How does he do it with his mouth? At one point, he said, let there be Lucifer and poof, there was lucifer do you understand how close how close how close how close lucifer is being is to being extinct let there not be lucifer it's literally how close to extinction he is there is there is nothing else our father doesn't have to do anything else but say i'm tired of you you're like why doesn't he do that then it's not his storyline so that's why we want to we want to connect to his narrative his storyline what's he doing if he was just going to if he just do you understand that to beat satan like there's no comparison it's not like again that god's three times stronger than satan not 10 not 100 it's like in his pinky there's a million to the million times power of satan and so he, he literally doesn't even have to move from his throne and he could just order Satan to come and present himself before him and all his demons and then line them up and just go, flick him and they're going 10 billion light years of, ah! He's not trying to figure out, darn, I wish I could figure out how to beat Satan. His story is, I'm going to beat you with my kids. This is important. He handicapped himself the moment he made Adam and Eve if the goal is just defeating Satan. The hard part is he committed himself to a plan. See, here's what he's, he's told Satan. He's like, listen, I let you in all the way. I let you see me in all my glory. I let you walk in the stones of fire that were in my heart. You were disloyal to me. You betrayed me. I'm going to have sons and daughters in my image, and they are going to arise and shine. You're going to lie to them and lie to them and lie to them, but they are eventually going to figure out who I am. They're going to eventually figure out my storyline, and they're going to figure out that you can be defeated. And the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. So you have to understand he's committed to doing this with us. That's why when we have a storyline of he raptures us all and then he does it. Why did he ever create us? We are created to do the job. That's why he's still telling us his first crowd. He said, you are the salt. You are the light. You take care of business. I'll back you up. He's still saying that. So anytime we have any kind of eschatology or doctrine of any sort that steals him of the joy of his original narrative, we make a big mistake. So part of that, you just got to like he wants to use you. He wants you to arise, you to shine. The more weak, small, foolish you are, the more he enjoys it. He has chosen the weak, small, foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's not looking for sophisticated, you know, high-achieving, type-A personality. He can use you, if, you, but this is the exception. <laughs> he chooses the weak, small, foolish things of this world. He makes triumphal entries on the backs of donkeys. And he does that intentionally instead of getting the white lions and the white horses. You know, he didn't he didn't make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of a white lion. He intentionally said, Hey, there's donkeys tied up, loosen them, bring them, say, I have need of you. He's still looking for donkeys who are tied up. It's like I can't, I don't want to speak, I don't have enough money, I'm not sharp, I have problems. He says, untie them from that. Let me ride on them. See, Isaiah 60. You arise, you shine, my glory will be seen on you. We let him ride on us. He comes in, they go, Hosanna to the king. They don't say, you know, they didn't say Hosanna to the king. And what an awesome donkey. It's the brilliance of a donkey. They can't steal any glory. It's like, well, the Lord must... Apparently the Lord was just going to change that city anyway because obviously those people aren't, uh, yeah, they're not the reason. All right, Elizabeth, I forgot to bring. Where's the clock around here? Hey. Oh, man, we're doing great. I got to give her time too, see. So, but we can go a little bit. All right, studies tell us that from a pastoral standpoint if you're looking at your congregation only three percent of a congregation if i were to look at you only three percent of you have a traditional ministry call that means only three percent of you will ever have a call on the pulpit children's ministry some kind of church staff something that's called traditional ministry only three percent you get the math on that it means 97 percent of you do not have that call To put it in my language, it means 97% of you are called to the other six mountains. Now, what happens, again, and that means that's where your assignment, that's where your platform, that's where your anointing, that's where everything is prepared for you. The problem is we have not been telling the congregations that, so we have 100% trying to get 3% of the positions. And so you have everybody trying to find the positions and have identity because everybody wants to be front line with the king. They go like, I want to be, I want to serve you front line. And everybody says, yeah, pulpit's front line. So everybody wants to be front line and, and then you just, there's only 3% can serve. So you're like back there and like, oh God, I hope he falls in sin so I can take his place or something. And I'm not saying that really happens. But you have, you know, For lack of expanded vision, for lack of vision, the people perish. You have this reality that there is this massive orphan spirit on the body of Christ. Because the 97% don't know that their assignment and mission is just as important. And in some cases, of course, more important. It is more important that we have anointed sons and servants of God in government. But we'll say as, at least as important in government, in media, in arts and entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. Societal families, social services, the seven mountains. In, for lack, if you can't remember the seven, in society, we need believers operating in the nine to five workday, carrying his presence, caring, not just trying to get people saved there, but bringing the way he does things in those areas of society. This is where I was going to Matthew 6, 10. So Jesus, after he does the Beatitudes, you are the salt, you are the light. says, now when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is where it's all going. Everybody's quoting the Lord's Prayer. You know, Catholic, Protestant, no matter what. Like everybody knows this is important scripture. But we really haven't got the fullness of what it's all about. When you think on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, Again, the context of what he's just been showing and preaching them. So we want to pick that up. That's all part of the same message. His original Magna Carta, his original message. Pray, contend for on earth as it is in heaven. He's not talking about just salvations. I mean, how many of you know there are no crusades in heaven? Like the father doesn't every, you know, every day at 6 p.m. say, okay, every head bowed, want to give you another opportunity to come to Jesus. So, when it's on Earth as it is in Heaven, He's not talking about people getting saved. For our purposes, what Jesus was saying, He says, "Papa, the way government runs in Heaven, let that come and run here on Earth. The way education works in Heaven, let that system come here work on Earth. The way you run family in Heaven, let that come." Work here. The way you run provision, economy in heaven, let that come. You understand all these things. The seven mountains exist in heaven. They are seven manifestations of who he is and what he does. See, what you think about him is the most important thing about you. In media, we meet him as communicator. In education, we meet him as teacher. In government, we see him as king. In economy, we meet him as provider. And family, we see him as Papa. Religion, we know him as Redeemer. We've been championing as Redeemer. Did I say government already? King, I skipped. Which one did I miss? Arts and entertainment, creator. So he's saying, I need you to study me and know how I am. These are seven aspects of who he is and how he does things in heaven. And we are called to study him. What you think about him is the most important thing about you. When you know his capabilities, like if you're called to media, that's why we have these books and we have whole chapters on what he looks like as communicator. If you don't know how he communicates, what his heart is regarding communications, and you try to just run media through your own brain, not touched by the Holy Spirit, you really don't know what your assignment is. You don't know how to fulfill that assignment you don't know how he teaches so we go we have our resources and i'm not trying to champ them but just to tell you i know i can't finish enough telling you about them but we do have this uh, uh, available we look into the seven aspects of who he is and uh, just a visual to help you and i think i'll close with this the visual to help you is remember in genesis 1 27 28 it says god said let us make man in our image And it basically goes on and says, and let him have dominion over everything. Now, we know he didn't say, let I'm going to make man in my image. He said, let us make God let make man in our image. And the understanding is let us because their father, son and Holy Spirit. He's a triune God. Let us make man in our image. But I'm what I'm presenting to you. And this will help you remember just the theme of what we're bringing to you tonight. That our God is also seven spirits. He's one, three, and seven. He's God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm not giving you heresy again. We'll give you a Bible for everything we're telling you. But he's a God of seven spirits. It tells us that in Revelation 4. Revelation 4, it says, And there are seven blazing flames of fire around the throne from a ruling position. And these are the seven spirits of God. So he doesn't just say, I need you all to affect government. I need you all to affect education. I need you all to affect economies. Like, I provide myself. I have seven blazing flames of fire of who I am that is available for you to carry. You carry my image on earth, and that's what will displace the darkness that's there. Yeah. And then Revelation 5, it talks about the lamb, the lamb that broke the seven seals. And it said the lamb had seven horns. Because there are seven seals to break. He didn't just bring salvation to mankind. He brought the solution for the six mountains. He came to save that which was lost, not just those that were lost. So the lamb, if you read that, that's in, in, again, Revelation 5. It says the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Now, that can mess up your picture of the lamb of God, the beautiful lamb of God that we see. (laughs) But it's biblical. He has seven eyes and seven horns. Because there's a purpose for it. There's, there is, it's an expanded territory for us to understand where the kingdom must show up. In the seven eyes of the Lamb, it says, and these are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Seven spirits of God don't hang out in heaven. They don't have a mission in heaven. The seven eyes of God, the seven spirits of God, the mission is on earth to restore the full image of God on earth. Okay? And so our God... I say he's 1, 3, and 7, and he's given us the visual of the rainbow. Now, we have a whole book, Rainbow God, and back there that goes into that more, so I'll just give you the briefest thing to stick with you. But the rainbow is also 1, 3, and 7. So the rainbow is the perfect visual of that which is supposed to tell us about our God. If you read again, Revelation 4 and 5, it says there is a rainbow, a full rainbow around the throne. When you go to the throne room one day, you're going to see it is surrounded by a rainbow. That rainbow comes from the Father himself because it's his seven spirits. It's a manifestation of who he is. So the rainbow, he's one, three, and seven. And a rainbow is one, three, and seven. Rainbow, as you know, is white light. That's the one. But then when water and light interact, there's this prismic effect, and seven colors come out of it, of which three are primary colors. And they happen to be the primary colors a fire and our god is a consuming fire so when you look at the rainbow that's what he said i will look at the rainbow i know that's remember he told noah he said i'm never going to drown you again we said yeah he's going to stab us instead you know the fact that you can think that is a distorted i'm going to blow you up with atomic bombs that remember what you think about god is the most important thing about you he was not trying to say i'm not going to drown you but i'm going to you know i'm going to do something else like what kind of just save your symbol for somebody else. Like if you're just going to tell me you're going to kill us some other way. Because that's what people ultimately believe. He's going to blow us up, blow the world up. Uh, and the whole, you know, the earth's going to burn up. But he said, I know your propensity is always towards sin. But when I think about how evil you are, I will look at the rainbow. And I will remind myself. I will remind myself of who I am and my capabilities. Is in its essence what he's saying. So just to leave with you that visual. Rainbow God. Remember, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. If I can have expanded your perspective of God from being a one tone, one color. See, when you know him as Redeemer and you champion His as Redeemer, it's good. We want to keep doing that. But that's the blue color of God. We have a color association. I can't explain much, but I'll just tell you because it will help you in the visual. Media is the red color of God. Family is the orange color of God. Arts and entertainment is the yellow color of God. Green is the provision color of God of God blue the mountain of religion indigo the mountain of education and violet the mountain of government I think I did seven uh there but there are he's inviting us to see him in a full spectrum way see he is the desire of the nations and as awesome you know it'd be awesome if there is in the sky there's a color just a blue sliver there that's who he is as redeemer but how many of you know that rips him off for who he really is When you could see him in the seven colors of who he is. He's the God of all life. I know how to function in your world. All the ways I rule in society. I have government in heaven. It can function on earth. I have economy in heaven. You know, he doesn't just have three billion year old antiques. He keeps your mansion. He keeps building. How does he do that? You figure that out. You can affect economies down here on earth. I educate the way I educate there. I can keep doing that down here. You know, when the 24 elders fall on a regular basis, on their knees. They cast down their crowns and they say, Oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. They can't do it. It's not that Michael ordered them to do it. It is like, boys, 10 minutes is up. Come on, show some allegiance. It's... They... The mysteries, this goes into the teaching part of God, the mysteries of who he is and of his awesomeness, it's going to be exposed, exposed, expanded upon to us forever and ever and ever. And what happens, somebody went to heaven and saw this. They were shown that the 24 elders, they are just shown another aspect of his plan, of what he's doing. And they go, like, oh, my goodness, and they cast it. Down here. We're not worthy to wear this. Holy, holy is our God. So we've ripped him off of his storyline, of the majesty of what he's up to. And he's, he's committed to using little old us and doing an incredible work. And he's coming to showcase himself as ruler of the nations through his kids. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's why he's telling us, arise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen on you. He wants to, like, just... I have to close saying that he wants every single one of you activated for such a time as this. You were born for such a time as this. This is such a strategic time. The kingdom of God will be made manifest on earth now, such as it's never been made manifest before. There hasn't been vision even to understand it. We are getting the vision now because he is going to rule and reign. If you could see yourself in the spirit tonight, you are the rainbow army. Every one of you carries a primary image of who he is. If you're a creative, you carry his yellow color. If you're a communicator, you carry his red color. If you think governmentally, you carry his violet color, etc., etc. Green, entrepreneur, economist. See, there are seven ways he loves. He doesn't just love with what he did on the cross. He loves the way... He runs government. When we go to heaven, we're going to love it because everybody's going to feel secure. Justice is absolute. There's still government. And like, if you thought, I can't wait to go to heaven, there's no government. Sorry, he's still in charge. There's just the glory of running government the way you're supposed to. So, and he runs government. There is a glory of it. Excellently. And so every one of these areas, so who you're supposed to be activated into and who? What we have our even resource, and Elizabeth's going to come up. You can be working your way up here, Elizabeth, tell you a little bit about and, and, and whatever else she has to say as well. He wants you activated into carrying his colors. We were made in his image, and it's his image on us and through us, showcased nine to five in society. That's how the enemy gets cast down. We've had an old-fashioned model, old wineskin of if we have enough prayer meetings, we get churches unified, and we have these prayer meetings, and we say, I cast you out, principality, that that's going to do it. You have to realize that's not how it's going to work. Even if you got the whole church in unity, even if all the churches of America fasted and prayed for 40 days and said, Lord, cast out of government, out of D.C., every demon, every principality, every person under that, out of D.C., out of every government position, it would probably work. But the question then is, Who's now going to rule if all we know how to do is pray in church? We want to know how to pray in church and also show up in society. Seven times worse shows up. So you're the Rainbow Army. God wants you to, it's, if you don't know what your color is, who you are, he wants you to know you're called to carry it. And these are the days of shining and glory for his sons. All right, we'll pray with you in a minute. But, Elizabeth, take us home.
4: <laughs> so good. Before I forget, um, just specifically as it relates to what you were talking about, the narrative of God um, Second Peter has a scripture in there that's often misinterpreted about the earth being destroyed and burned up. and if that's something that's of interest to you, Johnny has written a blog specifically about that scripture and uh, what we feel is a more correct interpretation of that. and it's on our website, one of our websites it's rainbowgod.com rainbowgod.com and if you go on there and you click on the menu where it says "Blog." You can scroll down, and it's—I uh, it, think it's entitled something like "Will God Destroy the Earth?" So, if that's something that particularly interests you, or you have you're wanting to study into that, it's a great um, informative blog. So, yeah. So, Johnny and I um, moved about three years ago with our family from Atlanta, Georgia, where we were senior pastors for over 14 years, and uh, we were really surprised about. 10 years ago when the Lord um, just invaded our world and gave us a completely new understanding and perspective, not just of who he is, but of his narrative and of his plans for his sons and daughters and and who we are as a generation before him. And it began with... um, frustration on Johnny's part, we were taking teams and traveling with a lot of our friends and family on mission trips. Johnny was actually a paint contractor, and he had been raised on the mission field by his parents and um, just grew up having a relationship with God and uh, always wanted to be in the church and to serve, but he was definitely a behind-the-scenes kind of person and um, had never spoken publicly and was actually really afraid to speak publicly and we found a great church we were plugged in he was we were both serving and he worked hard he grew his company his painting company with his brother and um, just did very well uh, and we were able to you know contribute a lot to the church that we were going to and then through a series of, of uh, events in our family we ended up Uh, planting a church to our surprise doing something we said we would never do don't say never to God because then you're just gonna do it (laughs) we said we'd never live in California and here we are howdy neighbors (laughs) by the way I'm from Birmingham Alabama if you can't tell and Anyway, long story short, we were taking these teams on short-term mission trips. He would work really hard in his company, and we would save up money and then finance ourselves and go for a couple of weeks and just do the stuff, right? We would see very ordinary people like ourselves and our friends and our family do great exploits, lots of miracles, signs and wonders, lots of salvations. And we kept coming back to the same regions and... The same God that we had seen do these mighty things, we saw still these people held back in every other area of their lives and their culture, their corruption and their governments and their economic systems that were just so impoverished. And Johnny began this dialogue with the Holy Spirit about that and what, what does it look like when a nation is saved in a day. And what does it look like to inherit the earth? And he just began um, contending with the Lord for understanding and revelation. And then he got this download from the Lord. So really the last 10 years, um, as a family, we have committed ourselves and for the rest of our lives to this message of reformation. Our passion is to equip sons and daughters of God to be who they were called to be. And to bring the the full spectrum, the God of all of life in every color, to the earth, and um, as we were traveling and speaking, Johnny wrote his first book, and then we started getting asked to um, speak specifically on that subject, and we moved out here, one of the reasons the obvious reasons because God told us to, but part of that process for us was we felt like God said um, to to position ourselves here, you know, even prophetically, you you can prophesy words, or you can or you can make decisions and choose a lifestyle and actions that carry more weight than any words you could ever speak. And while we were hearing so many prophesy, um, this might be a strong way to say it, but slander the the, the reputation of our God by prophesying so much judgment over the state, um, out of a misunderstanding of his narrative and his heart towards the earth and towards America, um, we were like, we, that's where we're living because prophetically we know that is not the heart of our God. And anyway, okay, that was just a little side thing. Um, as we were traveling and speaking, I personally was um, wrestling with what every single soul ever wrestles with. I don't care where you're from, what race, what nationality, your, your background. Everybody's asking ultimately the same question if they're able to get to that core place of their heart. And it is this, do I matter? And you begin to understand and realize that the only being that can answer that question to satisfy your heart, is the one that created you. And every one of us wrestle with that question the same way because every one of us were affected the same way by the choice that Adam and Eve made. Any one of us in the same situation would have made the same choice. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with that one choice, it shifted their brain function and our brain function forever or until it's, t- till it's completely redeemed one day. But it, it gave us the capacity to process differently than Adam and Eve had processed before that point. And it was this, the ability to look at something or someone and question, is it good or is it evil? And more specifically and importantly, is he good or is he evil? When he looks at me, are his thoughts towards me or against me? And so, unfortunately, we began to perceive all of life and every circumstance that we ever go through, through that grid. Even those that claim to be atheists, when things go horribly wrong, who are they angry with? And those of us that have known God our entire lives, you get just that right parking space in front of Starbucks, and you feel just a little more seen and loved by God, You know, we filter his reputation through our circumstances. But the wonder of that is God redeems absolutely everything. And he will even redeem our propensity to view him through our circumstances. Because we are awakening to the reality that that the kingdom isn't this ethereal thing. It is the ability to leverage that that propensity that we have. We can begin to so shift culture through his kindness. We can take our ability that we have gained in intimacy with him as a generation of believers to hear his voice and access his solution supernaturally for every problem that exists. I love this quote that Johnny has that says um, he was asking God about this one day. Let's see if I can get this right. God said to him that there is not one problem that exists in society today that he hasn't already pre-embedded the solution, his solution to, in one of his sons or daughters. And so we have the joy and delight of knowing him so well that, first of all, we care about what he cares about. And we have the joy and delight of then accessing his solutions and bringing them to bear. The good news is, is that this king of ours, whose kingdom is coming like a runaway freight train, like it's not up to us, it is coming. He just loves us so much and he's such an intimate God and he just so desires relationship that he invites us to partner with him in it. But we don't walk around as if the weight is on us. It's a joy and a privilege. The good news is this humble king also releases his kingdom, his better way of doing things Through his sons and daughters that don't yet know that they're his sons and daughters yet I think of them like sleeper cells all over All they need, many of them know aspects of God that we don't know And we actually reap the benefit of the fact that they do Think about technology and all of that, okay, so In that same way, we get the privilege and the joy of awakening their hearts that those things that they care about, he cares about. In fact, they're made in his image, and we're so sorry that we didn't tell you this before, but that thing that you're so angry about that you want to change is because you're made in his image. And you're carrying his desires. I remember I met... um, somebody in Greenpeace, and, and getting to have a conversation with him, and just tell him, listen, I'm a Christian. I want you to know that I am so sorry that that many of us don't love the earth like you do. But you need to know that, that you're carrying the heart of God in, in the fact that you love and care for this earth. And something in his eyes just shifted and awakened. I saw it happen as I looked into his eyes some part of his heart, his entrance to God, began to be healed. Anyway, all right, so all of that to say, we are stewarding over this the best that we know how. We've created resources so far. We're, we've, we've created a, um, a global network that we're just launching in this most recent last year called RISE, Reformers Influencing Society Every Day. And we know that there are many in the body of Christ that are awakening to this message. They're carrying it with maybe slightly different language. We're all in it together. We're just carrying our peace. Um, So I'm going to sound like a salesman for just a minute and tell you about each of the resources that we brought. You may not feel like this is a time you're supposed to immerse yourself in this, and that's okay. We'll plant a seed for for another time. Um, I will go ahead and tell you that if you're here tonight... And you can't afford one of these books, but you feel like you're supposed to read one of them right now. It would be our honor to invest that in you, to give it to you. Just see me, and I'm happy to let you pick one from the table. Um, And, okay, so Rainbow God, Johnny already mentioned to you. Rainbow God, The Seven Colors of Love this is the heart language. Um, all of our books, all of our resources are about, resources are about the seven mountains. People will come back to the table and say, now which one is about the seven mountains? Everything. That's just infiltrated through everything we write and talk about. Um, Rainbow God, The Seven Colors of Love is a book written by Johnny and I both. And it literally, we have two different text fonts in there so you'll know when Johnny's speaking and when I'm speaking. and. As I was telling you just a moment ago, my journey is that I was wrestling over this question of how much do I really matter to him, because my mom died when I was a little girl, and the message, the lie that I began to believe through that was that I didn't matter, because if I mattered, he wouldn't have let that happen to me. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Same enemy, same lie, different story, maybe, Um, but... As I would sit on the front row and hear Johnny talk about the seven mountains and this amazing God who was going to do these great things in the earth, I was like, he's good, but like I know he didn't kill my mom, but he certainly didn't stop it, and he's the only one who could have, and so how good really is he, and I went on this healing journey. You probably have been through sozos and different inner healing ministries yourself, I think one of the things that they all have in common is they go after those root lies that we've believed about ourselves and believed about our God and his heart towards us. And I began to realize as I was sitting, listening to this message over and over again, this big picture perspective, while God had his finger on a very intimate, personal place in my own heart, and the two converged for me. And I began to realize that the same way that he heals our individual hearts, he heals the collective hearts of cities and nations. And the same way that he so patiently goes after every single lie that we've ever believed about ourselves and about him, he goes after those same lies in every area of culture. Basically, he's doing a giant sozo in the earth. And he's allowing us To replace our broken systems that are built by broken people who have varying degrees of ideas of how involved or uninvolved he is in the earth. If you were in charge of the economy or the economic system of your nation and you set into place some systems and you didn't believe and you didn't know him as provider your economic system is not going to reflect that fact and it's going to be rooted in lies and it's going to perpetuate lies about who he is. Because when you root an economic system, for example, in greed and mammon, then you're going to reap the consequences of greed and mammon, which continue to lie to you that you cannot trust him to provide for you. So every single, um, we talked, In Rainbow God, The Seven Colors of Love, we talk about the lie, the basic lie that is currently being perpetuated about God through each area of culture. And we help you go on a journey to individually begin to process what lies have you potentially believed about God based on the way that you experienced each area of culture, each broken system and culture. Um, I know it's probably way after 8.30. Do we need to release the parents to get the kids? Okay. So release uh, parents to go get kids. Feel free to slip out and then um, come back in and join us if you can. We'll be wrapping it up. Um, So Rainbow God, uh, we take you on this personal journey because you cannot give away what you don't have. You can't display, as Johnny was saying, you can't display the God of all of life if you don't know the God of all of life. So our desire, the Lord's desire is to equip you and to position you fully rooted in the truth of who he is and the nuances of how he loves and to contend for the truth of who he is, his correct reputation in the earth. But first, you have to have his correct reputation in your own heart. So um, that's Rainbow God, The Seven Colors of Love. There's a chart in the back that um, goes into which uh, we actually took the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Father on the mountain of family, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come is the mountain of government. We just go through each, um, there's seven faces of God that are clearly seen in the Lord's prayer. We go through the seven colors, we go through um, the seven lies and the seven truths about who God is, and we end it with a chapter on what does God look like coming out of you. So it really launches you and propels you into that place of discovering, all right, I'm a reformer, so what what do I look like as a reformer? Um, my favorite book that Johnny has written is the most recent one, The Seven Mountain Renaissance: Vision and Strategy through two thousand and fifty. This one is so meaty i 'm um, not much of a reader, but it just pulled me in. He did the most research for this book that he 's done in any of his any of his writings. He um, goes into an understanding of how The history of the church, especially in America, has affected the way we have currently set up the structures and systems in each area of culture, and how our beliefs as Christians have played out in the way, basically, that society has rotted, like he said. And it helps erase this line that has been between us versus them kind of mentality, and it helps you, um, he addresses very specifically a chapter on each mountain, the hot topics of today. A lot of the current events um, and different laws that we've tried to change, etc. And he, he helps give a grace perspective. But um, I think one of, the, one of the tricky things that we're we dealing with as a generation right now is we so love the truth of God's word but we haven't completely understood the heart of our Father, so we've been afraid to look like we're condoning sin. And that has affected us um, and really God's reputation in the earth in a very tangible way. A lot of people uh, think of Christians as more what they're against than what they're for. And That's not our hearts. We don't want to be known that way, but we're going to have to intentionally shift that. How do we do that and, and perpetuate the truth of who God is and not compromise on truth while providing an understanding to the world who we view as the world, an understanding of the heart of our Father? And how to lead with love without compromising truth. And so this book, there's so much more than that in there. Is there anything else you want me to say about that that comes to mind? All right. Um, This is a book that Johnny wrote back in 2009. And it is a prophetic timetable. It's called The Seven Mountain Mantle, like the mantle of Joseph. And the subtitle is Receiving the Joseph Anointing to Reform Nations. This is an understanding of uh, the story of Joseph and how the process he went through personally with God so that he would be prepared when it was his turn to reform society, really to save the world at the time. So we're called to save the world, we're called to change the world, but so many of us are stuck in the middle of our own process and confused and everything looks so opposite of Um, Us being world changers So if you're in in that process and you're like, where are you god? And am I am I on track at all? That's a great book for you Prophetically, he he lays out a timetable of awakening arising and shining and we are currently in that prophetic timetable of shining Um, Is there anything else about that book? Yeah All right, um Superhero, becoming a superhero, a pocket guide to a life like David. This is a quick, easy read. It's a great gift for people too, but it is full of really profound teachings on the life of David. David is Johnny's favorite Bible character, and um, I've never heard David talked about like Johnny talks about him. He got some really fresh revelation and how David overcame the bear of insignificance, and the lion of rejection. So that by the time he was presented with Goliath, it was easy for him. And we're all called, we're all created with this supernatural, he calls it plutonium, within us. The kingdom of God is within us waiting to come out. And most of us, I don't know of anyone who hasn't, had to overcome rejection and insignificance. Even if you didn't, in reality, experience rejection, the is really good at making us feel rejected. And um, it's a great power-packed little book, so I recommend that one. Uh, I'll tell you one last thing, and then if you can show that video. Do we have that video? Okay. Um, back on the table, we have this worship CD download card, and it is Uh, called Every Season of My Soul. I recorded this a few years ago, and I'm actually about to write a book about the same subject. I got this just download from the Lord. I used to lead worship at our church years ago, and we did a lot of prophetic flow like y'all do here, and I love it. And I got this understanding that um, winter, spring, summer, and fall, the, the seasons that we go through in life, we often feel stuck and yet in each season there is a unique um, perspective and intimacy that we can have with God. Like David, every single psalm you see him start off in this raw honest place with God where he's like where are you? And and then he talks himself into this new fresh perspective of but you O Lord I will run into you. You are the lifter of my head. And so I, I realized that each season is unique in that we can express and we must bring to him a, a true, honest worship. So what does raw, honest worship sound like coming from each season? And what is the place of intimacy that we can access in that season that's different than the other seasons? So it's four long songs. It's a prophetic journey. And um you hopefully will enjoy that as well okay so show the video and then i'm just going to make a couple of quick comments about that and we will minister are you ready to embrace the fact that you were created with the ability to change the world with your unique gifting maybe you've not known exactly what that looks like in the context of your personal story But if you're a radical lover of Jesus and one who's fully convinced that the real God loves us and plans to use his sons and daughters to display his goodness in the earth, then RISE is a perfect match for you. Johnny and I launched RISE in 2015, which stands for Reformers Influencing Society Every Day. We began RISE not because we needed some new way to promote ourselves or some personal agenda, but because we want to equip you to rise to the position of influence and impact that God has given you at this time in history in this generation. We want to see Papa's sons and daughters throughout the globe rise into every area of culture, bringing the goodness, the kindness, and the love of our Father to those who believe lies about who God is and His true heart towards them. We believe God wants to position you to heal hearts and heal the structures of culture itself so that society has an opportunity to experience the truth of God's intentions towards us. What if you could do that every day while you're doing something you actually enjoy? Something you know you were created to do. What if you could help raise up others to do the same? You can join the Rise Movement in one of two ways. You can experience life-changing and profound teachings at our Rise Intensives here in our hometown of Valencia, California near Los Angeles in a live and intimate setting taught by Johnny and myself or study at your own pace using our at-home video workbook-based courses designed for you to use individually or as a small group. There are three courses we've specifically designed to equip those who know they're called to be social reformers. The Hearing God course is all about the ways God communicates with us and how He can use the things He speaks to us to encourage others and allow them to encounter God's love. The Seven Mountain Mandate is a course that's foundational and scriptural understanding of why we can believe God for the reformation of society, how we're to partner with Him in advancing His kingdom, and what are the ways the enemy likes to render us ineffective in our influence. The Rainbow God Course is an in-depth study into the seven aspects of God as love seen and experienced through each area of culture. Completion of all three of these courses will help you receive a Seven Mountain Coach Certification or a RISE Coach Certification if you attend at least one live intensive with us. Joining RISE allows you to become a part of a network of social reformers that will be listed and promoted on our website. And all who complete the three RISE courses, whether on their own or with us at a live intensive, will be invited to exclusive events for the purpose of connecting and strategizing with other like-minded believers who are committed to bringing the love and healing of God to the broken systems of culture. So go to our website, click on the link, and join other reformers like yourself as we rise. All right, very quickly, I'm going to pass around a clipboard for you to sign up email address. Please don't feel any pressure to do this, but if you're wanting more information about RISE, this would be a great way to get it. You can also go to our website. Girls, can I hand this to you? You can also go to our website to find out more information. I will tell you that the location for our intensives has changed to San Juan Capistrano, um, which is a little further south. We still live in the Valencia area, but we found a great option there. Um, We are also... Excited because, like, this summer we're going to Nigeria. We're launching Rise Nigeria, Rise Canada in Saskatchewan. Um, in Atlanta, we're doing our intensives over there, Columbia. So it's a big year for us. Pray for us. This is this is all about kingdom advancing and releasing and equipping His sons and daughters. Um, I do want to show you that back on the table, we have the three workbooks that I showed in the video. They come with... Um, a USB drive, and it has 27 video messages on it. So each of these three courses is nine messages or nine sessions that you can work on on your own pace by yourself or with a small group. I'm going to leave this with you guys. We'd love to give this to you. Um, And I'm trying to think what else I wanted to say about that. I also wanted to give these away really quickly. Every season of my soul, who would enjoy this? In the orange. Uh, Justice, would you help me give these out, sweetie? I meant to do this as I talked about them. Superhero. All right. Yes, sir, with the glasses. (laughs) Joseph. Yes, ma'am, right here. Yeah. (laughs) seven mountain renaissance okay and the hat back there rainbow god I get on this side yes so we are really excited about you as a local church and um, I just want to say that it's good to be with you and we believe in you we believe in what God is doing in your midst and we believe what he's doing in this region and your role in it. And I just think of uh, what Grace was saying about the big heart of God. And you have, every single one of you, corporately and individually, has really already made such a difference in reforming this region in, in ways that you know of that I don't know of. But one specific way I want to just say to you, every time you have chosen personally to believe the truth of who he is you are creating a tipping point and that tipping point is so about to explode and overflow and it is literally starting here on the west coast and it is going to other places too but it's going to just take over this nation we're a part of a generation that is going to see a radical shift in the understanding of how awesome and exciting and good God is. It's going to become popular to have a relationship with God. And so if, you, if, if all of this just feels like kind of like too big for you right now, don't allow the enemy to push you in that place You need to know that every time, literally, that you are choosing in the face of contradiction to believe in these faces of who he is. He is a provider. He is a good father. He is wisdom. He's a teacher. All of these these faces, these aspects of who he is, when you embrace them to whatever degree you can, you are literally ripping open a veil so that others can see him in his fullness more clearly.
1: So good. So good, Elizabeth. Well, I'm going to ask you to stand. Yeah, Brandon, I love the, uh, I see that everything we're sharing goes with your church mission. Yeah, we and that was about presence and ends up with equipping world changers. That's uh, uh, kingdom family, kingdom, yeah, all three. The, yeah, that was just amazing. And the meeting with the mayors and the way you're setting that up, that is just amazing. Those are all great starts. So, I just feel like you're supposed to be hit by some fire and glory. Do you just hold your hands out right now? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that. Would you hit these people with some fire and glory now? Would you ignite your colors in them, Lord? Would this be a season... That your fire would burn in them and through them and over them and around them. Lord, you're beautiful. You know, you're not just one colored fire. You're seven beautiful fires that are around the throne. Let them be ignited today as never before, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that starting tonight, new dangerous dreams are going to be dreamt. Kingdom dreams dreams of ruling and reigning, Joseph dreams, Lord, dreams that, a, that a position your sons and daughters where they're supposed to go. Many are going to be reawakened to drives and passions and pulls they had years ago that they didn't think was Christian enough, and you're going to show them how this works today. You're going to be showcased in every area of society, Lord, so let new dreams come, fresh dreams daydreams, let revelation be ignited. Lord, trances, visions, encounters, all about you and your fame in society and how you're going to use each and every one here, Lord. Lord, let your wind come through this place again now, Lord. Holy Spirit, just as as I breathe on this microphone, will your breath come in? Would it come in, Lord? Would they everyone feel it in their midsection? If you don't mind, just putting your right hand in your your midsection there where your spirit is. I believe he just wants to ignite your spirit. Reformers, rise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. He's rising on you. With creativity. With ideas. With communication. With authority. With influence. Servant influence. Not because you're hobnobbing. Because you're carrying him, his presence. He's an awesome God. He's great. Oh, just a minute more. OK. More, more. Press into us, Holy Spirit. more, deeper.. Whew. Lord, these people love you. They love your presence. And they're used to experiencing your presence in church. They're going to get used to experiencing your presence nine to five. <laughs> Monday through Friday, wherever they work, study, new ideas are coming, new insights, new revelation, new doors, new connections. Lord, I just thank you for what you're about to do, what you've already started in the Bay Area, Lord. Fire in the Bay! 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 Fire in the bay. (laughs) Let your golden state warriors rise. Amen. Well, thank you so much. It's been a blessing to share with you. We look forward to doing so. Elizabeth has one last thing. She's going to be at the tables. and
4: Yes, Lord. mm. Habakkuk 2.14 says the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I just want to declare that over your hearts. That your heart would be flooded with the knowledge of God. That every place right now where it feels complicated would return to the simplicity of first love. And the simplicity... Of the knowledge of God. I live to know the real you. And I live to make the real you known. And we live, God, to learn how to be loved by you. And how to love others through you. And I declare over this house the protection of God over unity. That as you become the firm foundation that will be built upon, that the truth that you've seen him to be in each other would be stable and firm. And that nothing, nothing could interrupt the unity of this house, the unity of spirit and the unity and bond of love. God, I ask that this would be a house that would be known for its simplicity of love, its simplicity of focus, that it would be known for your presence, that it would be known. I, I just see that, that you're, you're going to pioneer in something very rare, the ability to host the presence and power of God. The, the lingering that you do in his presence. But you're going you're gonna to know how to do that in a way that makes, that makes the orphan feel welcome. That makes the orphan come in and say, I'm home. I'm home. This is home. God, would you further define home and write it on the foundation the foundation of this house, God. And God, over the next three years, as strategy is being laid out, as as you are bringing new um, ones to be built upon, would would you would you give clarity to the leadership of this house, God, how to build? Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you've done in their midst. Thank you for what you will be doing in their midst. And we declare you are Lord over all. And you will establish the dreams of your heart through your sons and daughters in this house. In Jesus' name, we declare this over you. Amen.
0: Amen. Are they done? Okay. All right. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can we just honor them one more time? That was. Wow. By the way, um, if you were like me and you were just kind of blown away by it all and couldn't take notes, this is actually all on podcast. Do we have your permission, by the way? Is that OK? OK, so it's on our podcast, which means in less than a week or so, it'll be on blazingfire.org. So I want to bless you. Um, I also, in the back of a few copies of my book, um, Always Loved. And, and so if you're wanting a connection with the Father, encounters. That's why I wrote that. There's only a couple of copies, though. And uh, so I bless you and, and thank you, Lord, for, for Johnny and Elizabeth. We just speak blessing over them, God. We just say increase your favor. And thank you, God, that we are alive on the earth today to bring the impact that you have us to bring. In Jesus' name, amen.